You're listening to a sermon from New City Fellowship in Manassas, Virginia. New City Fellowship is a diverse community that proclaims the gospel and makes disciples for the glory of God and the renewal of our city. For more information, visit newcityfellowship.net. So first one we're going to read is 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. And we're going to focus on what are the biblical qualifications of an elder. So, the first text says, the saying is trustworthy. Uh, I'm, I always read from, a, from the ESV, if you don't know, just so you, you know, uh, the English Standard Version. The, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. That is our first text. Our second text is very similar, and it's in Titus chapter 1, verses 5 through 9, and it reads like this. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. So if you notice, there's a lot of similarities between both of these lists. And Typically, these are the lists that we go to when we want to evaluate who can be an elder and who cannot be an elder. Uh, something I want to highlight is that the Bible is not ambiguous about this. It's not unclear. It's pretty clear. And in fact, we have uh, two, two lists that are basically the same list repeated to two different people by the Apostle Paul when churches needed leadership. And so based on that, our church utilizes this, uh, this text to then select our elders. So this is going to be our criteria of selecting elders. But before I go into the, uh, into the sermon, I just want to read what our bylaws as a church say. So the New City Fellowship bylaws say that to be considered an elder, a man must, be, must have been called by God into leadership at New City Fellowship and be a man of the highest Christian character according to the qualifications of Scripture. So this is what our church has as its standard. A man with the highest 
Christian character according to the qualifications of Scripture. So as we nominate people, we need to know this is what our bylaws are referring to, these two passages, 1 Timothy and Titus. All right. So the first thing that is required in our church for a man to be a pastor or an elder, and we'll talk about the distinctions between those two, um, is first that it's a man. So this is a, a position that is not held by every Christian, but it is held by us. And I hesitate sometimes to use the, the word complementarian, which is the word that we typically use, because nowadays it has been misused in many, in, many, in many different circles. I don't know how much you stay in touch with the Christian world out there, uh, especially on social media. I don't really recommend it too much. Uh, but um, there has been people who align with what we would call complementarianism that have actually gone a little too far in saying that uh, the typical, uh, what I would call misogynistic things of women belonging in, in, in the, in the in the house or in the kitchen or with the babies and and they're very strict about who should do what and they i believe they've taken what we believe the role of women are in church too far and even outside of the bounds of scripture so i want to use the word complementarian carefully and as it relates to us as a church uh, the only office or position in our church that is reserved exclusively to men is that of an elder. Uh, we believe that in our church, uh, and personally, uh, women can lead other men in worship, in different areas, in groups, in different moments. Um, but I believe that the Bible is very specific about the fact that an elder, the person, the, the, the man who leads the church and is responsible for the preaching and teaching of the church should be a male. So that's something that I want to emphasize. Um, I want to, we don't have time to walk through what it means to be complementarian. There's a ton of things. And if you, have, if you want resources, I can point you to some resources. But I want to say two things first. The Bible, again, is very specific of who can be an elder. So this is not up for debate. There is a couple of texts, at least there's more, that actually says, if anybody wants to be a pastor, this is what this person needs to do. And every time the Bible, specifically in the New Testament, uh, talks about elders or pastors, it is always in the masculine form. In fact, the word used in the Old Testament for elder and in the New Testament for elder in Hebrew and Greek are both the uh, very similar words that actually mean what it means to us, an old man. That's literally what it means. And in fact, in Hebrew, there are places in, in Scripture where we can actually find that the same word is used to describe an old person with a beard or a bearded old man. So that is the concept of what we're talking about. And in our culture, that's also what it means, right? Well, it, it could apply to both, but it's an old person. Uh, the language of the passage is explicit. It's only referring to men in these two passages, Titus and, 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 and T Titus, Titus and Timothy. So let me read this to you, and this is important. Uh, elder, this is taken from uh, the Eastern Bible Dictionary that says, Elder, a, a name frequently used in the Old Testament uh, as denoting a person clothed with authority and entitled to respect and reverences. It also denotes a political office. 
the elders of Israel held a rank among the people indicative of authority. The elder is a keystone of the social and political fabric wherever the patriarchal system exists. At the present day, this is the case among, for instance, the Arabs, where the sheikh, uh, and for example, the old man, or that's what it means, it's the highest authority in the tribe. The body of elders of Israel were the, were the representatives of the people from the very first and were recognized as such by Moses. All down through the history of the Jews, we find mentions made of the elders as exercising authority among the people. They appear as governors, local magistrates, administering justice. They were men of extensive influence. In New Testament times, they also appear taking an active part in public affairs. But for us as a church, the elders of the New Testament were the pastors or bishops or overseers or leaders or rulers of the flock. Listen to this. Everywhere in the New Testament, bishop and presbyter and episcopos, the titles given to one and the same officer of the Christian church are titles given to one and the same officer of the Christian church. He who is called presbyter or elder on account of his age or, gra or, or gravity is also called bishop or overseer with reference to the duty that lay upon him. So, the concept is not a New Testament concept. It's the same concept that was used back in the Old Testament to refer to the elders of Israel, the heads of the tribes or the heads of the families. So we don't have really a lot of time, but I want to make sure that we understand the first thing that we need, which we need to know about our church is that to be considered as an elder, you need to be a man, okay? And nowadays, we need to make sure we understand a person that was born as a man, um, there's other characteristics that we need to also highlight. Uh, taking the both lists, I'm going to run through some of the, the qualifications of an elder. A man. The second one, and the one that's mostly repeated throughout both lists, in fact, it's highlighted three times between both lists, is above reproach. This means a person without any character defects, and this is probably the main and biggest characteristic that is required of an elder. And because this is the biggest one, we're going to uh, leave that to the end. And I'm going to uh, dive a little more into some of the details of what above reproach means down the road. The, another characteristic uh, that has to do with our relationship to God and also others is that he is able to teach. We say that this person must be an effective communicator. Titus 1.9 says that he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. So an elder must be somebody who is able to teach. That means that it cannot be or that person cannot be a new convert. Why? Because a new convert does not know yet enough doctrine or about the Bible to be able to teach. And that's another characteristic. A man who seeks to be an elder cannot be a new convert. Now, we come to another part that is very, very important. And it, it's a distinction between family and church. And if you notice, 
specifically in Timothy, there is a very clear contrast between whatever he does in his family, that's how he's going to do in, in the church. So, Paul is very clear. This person must be someone who keeps his family well, and if he keeps his family well, then he's going to be able to keep the church well. So in a sense, we can say that somebody's family, specifically an elder's family, is a good reflection. It's an accurate evaluation of how he's going to run his church. Number one, he must be a husband of one wife. Okay? Without getting, and this is, this is going to be a difficult topic to address when it comes to the issue of divorce and remarriage. And that is something that, as a church, we need to work through. This is a position that many churches take in many different ways, depending on how we view divorce and what are some of the valid reasons for divorce. Yet, what I would like to say is that we know that uh, a, an elder is somebody whose life needs to be looked into deeply. And if the case of that person is that he's divorced, we need to look into that even more. Uh, uh, it's not an automatic disqualification, I believe, but it's also something that we need to look into deeply. And this is where, and we don't have time because this would be another topic. What does the Bible teach about divorce? And so if you notice, every single thing requires an entire sermon, an entire sermon on its own. But for us, it's something we would look into. I don't think we believe, I don't believe we have a hard position on whether a man can be another if he was previously divorced. And that is a whole new topic. Yet, for us, the husband of one wife means a man that has or is faithful to one woman. And this implies purity in the sexual elements of his life. A man who has only one woman in every area of his life, physically, mentally, emotionally, and in every way. So this would include areas of pornography or other sexual addictions that will probably damage this area that would fall under this category of husband of one wife. So those, we believe, are areas that will automatically, in some senses, uh, disqualify a man from uh, a position of eldership. And a lot, a lot of these things I'm not commenting too much because at the end I'm going to make a, a larger comment about this. Uh, the next one is that he pastors and shepherds his children, somebody who understands his responsibility towards his children. In a sense, a pastor is not only a pastor of other people, he's primarily a pastor of his own family. And then a man who manages his family well. This means for us somebody who provides for his family, somebody who leads his family, who organizes his family, who loves his family. So that's the main idea. If, and Timothy says it, for if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? So if you can't even manage what's yours, you can't manage what's mine, says God, in a way. This is God's church. This is God's bride. This is the bride that he died for and paid for with his own blood. This is the bride that he's coming back to get. This is the bride that in the end he will marry. 
and live with forever, happily. So we as elders are taking care of that bride. Uh, another qualification when it comes to relation to self is a, a man who's temperate, a man who's mentally and emotionally stable. That means that for us as a, as a church, it's somebody who cannot root for the Washington Commanders because nobody in their right mind can... No, I'm just kidding. Um, but what that means is a person that is stable, that we can, uh, that we can go to and know that we can count on uh, temperate. Number one, self-controlled. A man who is disciplined in his life, uh, makes sound decisions along with the people around him, uh, a man who's not giving to drunkenness. Uh, that is something that is also highlighted in both of the lists, and that means a person without uh, addictions that will alter his uh, um, personality. Uh, not a lover of money, uh, somebody who is financially content and upright and is not someone who loves money. Um, this is all written in the bylaws. If you are a member, you probably have this already. This is, I'm not coming up with this. This should be, or you should have this. And if you don't have it, let me know, and I will make sure you have them. Uh, when it comes to relationships with others, is a man who's respectable, somebody who is an, an example, who, somebody who's worth following and imitating. Also, hospitable. Hospi hosp hospitality, in biblical terms, it not only means that you entertain your friends, and if we're thinking that way, we're, we're, we're not understanding what hospitality means in, in the biblical sense. Uh, hospitality means that some, somebody who welcomes strangers whose house is a missional tool. Uh, especially non-Christians. Another is that this man should be not violent, somebody who's even-tempered. Uh, number, number, the next one is someone, someone who's gentle, someone who's kind, who's gracious and loving. Uh, the next one is not contentious, somebody who's peaceable, not trying to uh, quarrel about things or divisive. The next one is a person with a good reputation with outsiders. He is seen and respected by even non-Christians. Uh, and one that I would add to this, and it's uh, actually highlighted in both of, of, uh, of the list, is a humble man, not arrogant. Those are the characteristics of a man who seeks to, to be an elder. Now, before I jump into some of the clarifications and, and, and a few comments, uh, there are other mentions in the Bible of the duties of an elder. What is it that we're supposed to do as elders? Let me just highlight a few of them. Number one, prayer and scripture. And this is important. Uh, in, in the book of Acts, in chapter 6, there was a, a, a fight, a, a division in the church, because some men were trying to feed the widow, and the widows who were Jews were uh, uh, having some issues with the widows that were not Jews, uh, the, the Greek uh, widows. And they brought this to the elders. And, and back then, there were the apostles. And, and they were saying, hey, how do we manage this situation? And they said, let me find other men that are respectable to take care of that. They called it the tables. Because we are going to focus on prayer and scripture. So that should be 
a number one priority of any elder, prayer of scripture and scripture. Uh, another duty of an elder is that he leads the church, that he manages the church. Another one, and a big one, is that he cares for people in the church, that gives an account to God for God's church, uh, a person who lives an exemplary life, uh, somebody who's rightly using the authority God has given to him, somebody who's not domineering or utilizing people, somebody who teaches the Bible correctly, somebody who preaches uh, somebody who prays for the sick, uh, somebody who uh, works hard, and we actually just talked about this in, in Thessalonians, somebody who works hard, uh, somebody who uses the resources of money and power rightly, and somebody who protects the church from false teachers, and somebody who also uh, disciplines unrepentant Christians. And I would also add somebody who evangelizes intentionally. So those are some of the duties of an elder. So my point and what I want to accomplish today is that as you hear this, you are thinking, who can I nominate and who meet this, uh, these qualifications? And as you think this, you're probably already thinking the most common question ever when it comes to these issues. What does above reproach mean? If you read it at face value, basically you need Jesus. You need a man who's perfect. Everything that I just read is intimidating. And as a man, as somebody who's talking about this right now, I'm nervous because every single thing I mention highlights my inability to meet it perfectly. And I am nervous because in some sense, this is what the Bible teaches. And in other sense, there is no way I can do this all perfectly. So I want to I give you two things on this. The first one. On one side, above reproach does not mean perfect. There is only one perfect man. And he's coming back soon. Above reproach means a person, or in this case a man, that no one can charge with anything. It means that no charge can be brought against this man. In, in another sense, above reproach means integrity. And the concept of integrity, which we all agree, everybody seeks or expects integrity for others, and we want to be people of integrity. Integrity basically means uh, a person who's not lacking anything. So if you think of a car, a car that's in, uh, that's that is an integral, is a car that's not missing anything, right? So that's the idea of above reproach. It's somebody who, who's not like something is falling off or like is missing this piece or another. It's like all the elements are right there. But another position even within this is that some theologians believe that the umbrella category for an elder is precisely above reproach. And everything that follows that list is a description of what above reproach means. So in other terms, a man above reproach is someone who's able to teach, not a new covenant, husband of one wife, passes and shepherds his children, manages his family well, tempered, self-controlled, not given to, 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 to wine, not a lover of money, respectable, blah, 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 all that. Some theologians take that as the definition of what it means to be above reproach. 
You can decide, and we can look into this. I am still trying to understand what above reproach faithfully means. And I have some hesitations of asserting this is exactly what the Bible means many times. I am open to it being a man of integrity. I am open to it being the list entirely. And I am also open to be uh, someone that cannot be charged with anything. But something that I want to highlight from this list and, and, and within the category of above reproach is that none of this list or none of these items in this list qualifications give us a specific level on any of them. So some questions we need to consider and some questions we need to be careful of because there are churches and denominations that have a very specific standards that I don't believe the Bible teaches. We need to be careful of not placing those things. For instance, what is the level of ability to teach? And I was using, because my wife and I were talking about this. It's almost like when you're in a band, right? And, 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 and the description says, able to sing. Yeah. Like, do you mean Mariah Carey? Or like, who else? Do, like, who? Like, what level of singing? And that is what the Bible doesn't really teach us. He, he, it says he must be able to teach. Does that mean he needs to be the most amazing teacher? Or maybe he's basic? We don't know. He must be able to teach. We have to be able to say, yes, he can teach. Maybe not what I would like, how I would like to do it, but he's able to teach. Another thing is, we, it doesn't give us like specifics on how many times does he need to be hospitable to people. He must be hospitable. There, there's, no, there's a lot of room to, 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 to play within those, those frameworks. What does it mean that he's not a new convert? Like, how many years does it count? Like, how much theology is it enough for you to know? Or, well, he, he provides for his family. Well, what, what, what kind of lifestyle is Is it this, the lifestyle of the city? Like, if he lives in Washington, D.C., he needs to provide it at that level. But, like, what is, what is it? So the absence of any of these qualifications, the fact that you don't have one of these qualifications means that you're not qualified but the fact that you might have some level of these qualifications might also qualify you for that, to be an elder. The level of some of these qualifications must be carefully evaluated. Now, the absence of them is a disqualification. So a being above reproach does not mean that a man is perfect in every area of his life. But honestly, I don't believe that this is the emphasis we need to put in eldership today in our society. I don't think we need to be saying, well, the Bible doesn't really call the pastors to be perfect. I believe it's the next one that we need to emphasize. The next one is that we need to take above reproach seriously, and more serious than we think. We need to understand that the qualification of being above reproach is something that needs to be re-embraced by the Christian church. Why? Because if you think about yourself, we are 
seldomly thinking of these things when we think of a Christian leader. And in fact, many of us have fallen into the trap of believing and consuming and being uh, embezzled by pastors and Christian leaders who are charismatic, good-looking, entrepreneur, successful, very educated, visionary, and those are the things that call our attention, and those are the guys making it out there, and those are the guys who have the biggest follow, and very few of us are saying, what about his family? Many of us are not even saying, why did he dare to ask for a private plane on a public service? We're not saying that. And those are the guys with the biggest churches. The thing that we need to point out today more than, yeah, the pastor shouldn't be perfect, is no, he needs to be above reproach. None of the things I just mentioned, being entrepreneurial and visionary and successful, none of that is bad, but they're not the most important at all. We have pastors cursing on pulpits. We are pastors buying with church money the title of a bestseller book and finding a way to make it happen. It's It's just disgusting what's happening out there. We need to hear that a pastor must be above reproach. And a pastor must be evaluated. That is non-negotiable. And this is not only the pastor's responsibility. If you notice, this is our responsibility. You and I, the people sitting in the pew and us standing here, both need to know what is happening. We both need to know what the qualifications are. And the problem is not that they're just hopping up over us. is that we're allowing that. We are allowing these people to take platforms that they should never take. And they all started by probably being just an elder who was nominated by somebody who thought he was cool. (laughs) Or because he graduated from this institution and he's very smart. As Christians, we need to understand that not everyone will be or can be an elder. And that we should have high standards for our pastors, that we should be strict with our pastors in grace, but strict. Not because we're picky or because we're high maintenance, no, but because this is what scripture commands from us. And the word of God is our ultimate authority. And I have, I have learned through pain, through hurt, that there are men that I should have never followed in my life. There are men that I look back over my 40 years and, and, and I should have ran the moment I saw the way he talked to his wife. But we're just, we're so into all these other things. We forget that this is, this is a high standard, a high calling. But with all of this said, the best of all the pastors 
even the best of, of men that we can find. And this is shown throughout scripture. This is shown throughout history. This is shown all over the place. Is that we should have a high standard, but we should at the same time understand that we will fail. All men will fail. Even the most amazing pastor that you see on TV and you swear that he meets all the qualifications perfectly, they will fail. And God has made sure that he wrote a book about that. There is very few, I think it's one or two people from the entire Bible that came out clean. The rest, the biggest heroes that we have, all their laundry is up there. All of it. And then some of them is really bad laundry. All of them will fail. We will fail. And this is why all the pastors that we have are just temporary. And all the pastors that we have and elders are just a shadow of the better and perfect pastor. Let me listen. Let me, let, let me read this to you. I need to hurry up. This is not the first time this happens. Do not think that this is the worst thing that's happening in the 21st century is worse. No, no, no. This has happened since the beginning. Ezekiel 34, and it's like an entire chapter about this. Read this with me. Ezekiel 34, it says, The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, Thus says the Lord God, Ah, oh, Shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves. Should not shepherds feed the sheep? Oh my gosh, that's like a, if you want to, if you, if you have Twitter, please tweet this. <laughs> Should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat. You clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened. The sick you have not healed. The injured you have not bound up. The strayed you have not brought back. The lost you have not sought. And with force and harshness you have ruled them. This is the 21st century right there. So they were scattered and deconstructing because there was no shepherd. And they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered all over the mountains and over every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. You know how many people are out there right now after the pandemic without faith or pastors? Verse 7, God says, Therefore you shepherds hear the word of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely because my sheep have become a prey and my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts since there was no shepherd. And because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep, but the shepherds have fed themselves and have not fed my sheep. Therefore you shepherds hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against the shepherds 
and I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths that they may not be food for them. God will bring judgment upon those shepherds who abuse and use the church. But it gets better. This is, the, this, is the, this is the promise of the good shepherd to us. Verse 11 says, For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock, when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from, from the peoples and gather them from their countries and will bring them into their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the ravines and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There shall lie down in good grazing land and on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep and I myself will make them lie down declares the Lord I will seek the lost I will bring back the strayed I will bind up the injured I will strengthen the weak and the fat and the strong I will destroy and I will feed them in justice so hear this many of us throughout our life have been and I am almost sure will continue to be hurt by our pastors. Let this be your hope and your joy. You have a better and perfect pastor in Jesus Christ, and he loves you, and he will, he will judge everyone. But if you have been abused or if you have, have experienced hurt or pain because of our church leader, God is your better and ultimate pastor. He's already done it through Jesus Christ. In fact, Jesus is called the shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. And Jesus saved us. Jesus came down to save us. Jesus not only put his life at risk, he gave his own life for us. He is the perfect pastor of the sheep. And every time I talk about sheep, and I've told this to my kids, the images that we have in Sunday school are wrong. Unless that's after Christ. Because the sheep that Jesus came to, to save are not this fluffy white sheep. The sheep that Jesus came for were aggressive, rebellious, dirty, stinky, and ugly looking sheep. They were stubborn and arrogant. They were sick. They couldn't even walk straight. They couldn't even see well. In fact, they were dead sheep, mostly goats. And Jesus came to save those ugly things. 
that didn't even want to be saved. And he came and he gave his life for all of us. He died for you and me. We were filthy. And he gave his life. He died on that cross. And he was beaten in our place. He was left hanging, bleeding, in pain for us. He was assassinated on our place. He defeated the big bad wolf. He killed him. He defeated Satan, sin, and death. He resurrected on the third day. And now, through his sacrifice and through his blood, he, ha- he now has made us this beautiful, fluffy sheep that are white as snow because of his blood. And this is all by grace. And the sheep always want to go back to that life and he carries us back and he does it again. He takes us into his fold and he cares for us. He makes us part of his family. He's constantly cleaning us. He's constantly being patient with us. He's constantly nurturing us. This is the pastor that we have. The one who heals our wounds and makes us like him more and more. And you know how he calls us? He calls us a beautiful chosen people that are royal priesthood. And now he says, I'm going to marry you. I'm going to live with you forever. That is the gospel. That is the good news of the gospel. And that's what we need to understand and hear every single time that we don't deserve good shepherds. We don't even deserve to be treated well. But he comes and he takes us, he treats us well, and then he makes sure that we have pastors that went through that process that treat us well. And if you're not a believer, you're missing out on the greatest love ever. And this is free. You don't have to become a nice-looking sheep. He loves saving and cleaning. He should have a a show called Sheep Makeover or something like that. (laughs) Because he does it very well. So if you're not a believer and you feel like you're filthy and you feel like you're not worthy, you're right, but he loves you. And he wants to change you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit. We thank you because you are a good God. Thank you because you are a good shepherd. Thank you because you are the shepherd who laid down his life for for the sheep. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I pray for all the men that will be nominated, and uh, I pray that you will guard them and keep them. And I pray that through this process you will Use them to bring glory to your name and to care for your church. And I pray for us as a church and for your church at large, Lord. Help us be strict and help us be aware and enforce these qualifications on our pastors. I pray that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.